Morning, everybody. How's it going this morning? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Beautiful. Appreciate that. Hey, let's pray together, all right? Father in heaven, thanks so much for this morning. It's a beautiful morning, and you are a beautiful God. And when we come in here together to worship you, it's because of all the greatness that is you. And so thank you for who you are. We honor you for who you are. And Lord, we admit as we come towards you that we are broken inside, that we've got stuff that's out of place and uh, things that are hurting and things that are uh, distracting us from you. So uh, we come to you, we surrender to you, we look to you today to lead us right straight to you through Jesus. Amen. Uh, hey, Joel, I'm hearing a ringing. Are you hearing that too? Are you helping with that? You guys hearing a ringing too? You like it? You don't, you don't like it. Hey, nobody liked it, Joel. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Worst thing in the world is to be the sound guy and have someone draw attention to what's going on. So I apologize. My bad. And he has all the power, so I just messed this thing all up because he could just. <laughs> all right. So I'm glad to see you. Thanks for being here. I have an opinion about you. Would you like to hear it? Yeah? You, really? Oh, you trust me. Okay, good. Hey, so here's my deal. Today is Resurrection Sunday plus seven. And, and here's my deal with you. I believe that because you're here the week after Easter, you have a passionate desire to please God. <laughs> okay, well, I thought I was a little bit more passionate than that, but I know, it's, I know it's early and you just got here and stuff, so it's like, okay, give me a chance to wake up. But that's, that's the deal, right? Because who comes to church on Christmas and Easter? Yeah, everybody or a lot of people, right? A lot of people come on those two holidays like Christmas, I got to be there. Easter, I got to be there. But the week after Easter, a lot of people are like, I, I, did my, I did my nod to God already, you know? So people that are here the weekend after Easter, I'm like, there must be a deal going on. There must be something in your heart that says, what I want to do with my life is I want to please God. And that's my assumption about who you are if you're here this morning. So whether that's true or not, you have to decide. But it's true in my life. I passionately want to please God. In my life, I've ordered things and, and I try and arrange things and go in a direction where I'm going to be able to please God. That's what I want. I think that's what you want. What's wonderful from God is he, he gives us a gift. He says in his scriptures, this is how you do that. You want to please God with your life? This is how you do it. So I want to show you a scripture passage. It just tell, tells you very straight up, very clear, this is how you please God. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in a few different places. And we're just going to land briefly at this first one. But the first one I want you to see is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Some of you will know this verse or this statement. Uh, and you may just want to listen. That's fine, too. Here's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. The author says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So here's the deal. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. Now, you can turn that around and put it, instead of a negative statement, you can put it in a positively stated phrase like this. If you want to please God, practice faith. If you want to please God, practice faith. That's what it's all about. And so it's like, okay, in our journey with Christ, we're trying to figure out how do we do that, but that's the whole deal. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And, of course, that just makes sense when you just think about it, right? It, you know, it, it wouldn't work to come to God and say, hey, God, I don't really believe you, but I'm coming. I mean, that would be like me saying, you, I don't really believe in you, but let's talk. 
that's not really a good platform to begin with, right? So God says, you, you got to believe that I exist to come, and you have to exercise faith. And when you do that, you'll please me. Now, what I want to do for the next few minutes is just see how that fleshes itself out. How do we work that out? If I want to please God, practice faith. Let me show you a couple of stories from the life of Jesus that, ex- that, that express this. So turn over to Matthew chapter 8, back toward the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, I'm going to read a couple stories from Matthew chapter 8 and just let you hear what was going on in Jesus' life and how people express faith or not in regard to Jesus. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 is where we'll start uh, with these stories. So first one says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, well, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. There's a great story of great faith. Now, let me just give you some background to this. In Matthew chapter 8, it's the follow-up stories immediately after Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount. So probably the most famous sermon ever delivered in the history of humanity was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's been the most repeated. You'll, you'll know phrases from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. All that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, one of his themes was, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be noticed by them. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' generation, they kind of strutted around doing their religious stuff so everyone could see. It didn't really matter to them what their heart was. It just mattered that people noticed them. And so they'd, they'd do these prayers. They'd say these great, eloquent prayers standing on the street corner. They'd loud voice, big, fancy word prayer. And everyone would walk behind and go, wow, that guy's really holy. He's so spiritual. He's like so eloquent in his prayers. I wish I could pray like that. And the Pharisees would, Pharisees would kind of, you know, strut around and go, yeah, I'm a good prayer. And Jesus goes, "Eh, thank you for playing. It's like, that's not how it goes. That's not, beware of practicing your righteousness so other people notice. Now with that background comes this story in Matthew chapter 8 of this centurion. A centurion is a Roman officer, an officer in the Roman army. Now the Roman army were, they were occupying the nation of Israel. They were outsiders, they were unwanted. Nobody in Israel wanted the Roman army there, so they hated them. And here's an officer in that army. He's in charge of a hundred men. He's sort of a middle-level management guy in the Roman army. And he comes to Jesus and he asks for help. And that was so weird. Because those two groups, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish people, they didn't mix very much. And when they did mix, it was usually a conflict situation. And Roman officers 
didn't come to Jewish rabbis and ask for help. But this one did. He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I, I, I've, got, I've got a servant at my house and he's paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. So it was amazing that this centurion comes to Jesus in the first place. It's amazing that he comes and he asks on behalf of a, of a servant. He could do anything he wanted to this servant. But he's moved with compassion for him. Here's a pagan Gentile who doesn't know anything about God's grace, doesn't know anything about God's mercy. He just has this heart of compassion, which was also unexpected in a Roman soldier, a Roman officer. But he's got this amazing compassion for his servant, and he comes, he's, got, he's like, this is my last resort. I've got to come to this Jewish rabbi and see if he can help me. And he comes to Jesus, he says, will you help? And Jesus, in something that may be as miraculous as the officer coming to him, Jesus says to the officer, to this Gentile soldier, he says, would you like me to come over to your house and heal him? Now, rabbis don't go into pagan Gentiles' homes. That was like, like against the law. It was against the rules. It was against the customs. You don't do that. But Jesus says, would you like me to come over? I'd be happy to come over. And now, the, the Roman centurion shows all of his cards on the table. Now, I don't know if the centurion had been at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if he'd been on the hillside that day, maybe, maybe watching from the back, maybe trying to do crowd control because there was a lot of people up on that hillside. But some way, maybe he heard Jesus. And now he talks to Jesus about authority. When, when Jesus was done with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew writes a commentary at the end of chapter 7. It says this. The result of Jesus' teaching was that when he was done, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority, not as their teachers of the law. He taught differently. He taught like he had authority. Now, maybe the centurion was out there and he noticed that. And so Jesus says, would you like me to come and heal your servant? And the man says, no, no, no. You don't need to come. He was one of those guys who said, you know, if, if, if I ever walked into church, the roof would cave in. That's this guy. He goes, I don't deserve to have you come into my house. And if you came into my house, the roof would collapse. I don't deserve to have you come in. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He said, because I'm a man of authority. I get it. I know what it's like to have people over me telling me what to do. And when my boss says, do this, I do what he says. And I have people under authority, under my authority. And so when I tell my soldier, hey, go there, he goes. Or I tell this other soldier, you come, he comes. And when I tell my servant, do this, he does it. It's just about authority. So he says to Jesus, you don't have to come over. Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. In the process of that, this... This Roman army officer admits his need. You know, we talk a lot here at Lakeside about the ABCs of the gospel. We print on the back of the program. Here's a guy. Here's a Gentile pagan guy who says, I have a need. I can't do this myself. He admits it. That's step number one of faith. Admit your need. He says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus turns around to the people following him. Now, who was following him? His disciples, right? So Jesus got 12 disciples and some other people that are following him around. So he's, he turns around to the people following him like his 12 disciples. And he says, 
hey, you guys, I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. I've been running around the countryside talking to people. I haven't seen anybody with this kind of faith. He has great faith. And then the Bible says, and, and from that hour, his, the centurion's servant was healed. Healed him. Jesus said, when I look around at the religious people, I don't find that kind of faith. But here's a man who wouldn't expect to get religious kudos from Jesus. And Jesus said he had great faith. Now, look at another story in Matthew chapter 8. Jump down to verse 23. Let me read this one for you. This is a little bit later, not very much longer, but a little bit later. It says, then, he got, then Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. They followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. At this point, Jesus is worn out. He's preached a sermon on the mount without a PA system to a lot of people. And he's come down off the mountain and he heals a couple of people. And then people are pestering him. They're like, I want to follow you. He goes, well, you know, what about this? They're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Oh, I want to follow you. Well, what about this? Oh, I don't really want to do that. So he's got these people pestering him and they want to follow him, but they don't really want to follow him. And he's getting pressed from all sides, and then he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they get in a boat, and Jesus goes, oh, this is perfect. Two or three hours of bobbing on the waves, I'm taking a nap. I call it hammock time. And so he gets in the boat, immediately he goes to the back of the boat, gets some cushions, lays down, has a nap. He goes to sleep. And then, as, as sometimes happens on the Sea of Galilee, there is a... There is a canyon that, that kind of empties out into the Sea of Galilee, and winds sometimes build up through this canyon, and they come swooping down into the Sea of Galilee and, they, Galilee, and they start these amazing major storms, and they come up in a heartbeat, and that's what happened on this day. So this storm comes in, and the, and the boat is being tossed and thrown about, and water is coming over the edges, and a lot of Jesus' disciples were professional fishermen. They were boaters by profession, and they're terrified. That's how bad this storm was. And so they've got an idea. They come to the king of kings and lord of lords in the back of the boat. And they yell out and they wake him up. They go, Jesus, Jesus, don't you know we're about to drown? And Jesus wakes up. Takes a look around. Sees the waves and the effects of the wind. And then he goes to the storm. Quiet down. And it becomes completely calm. To which I think the disciples thought, oh great, now we have to row. <laughs> it's completely calm. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, the guys who were following him. They, they, they were following him when the centurion came in. They followed him into the boat. And Jesus comes, he turns around to his disciples. And he asks something like this. Do you not believe that I am the only Savior God has sent? I mean, isn't, isn't that really what he's asking? I mean, who, who's in the boat with the disciples? Who? Jesus. What do we call him? What are some names? We, what are some titles we give for Jesus? 
King of kings, what else? Lord, Lord of lords, yeah, what else? Savior, how about creator? That's a good one, in charge of the ocean. That's, or the, yeah, that's good. How about, how about son of God? Oh, that's a good one too, right? Do you think God sent his son to die on the Sea of Galilee with 12 cowardly disciples? I'm like, hey, fellas, use your head. You've got the son of God in the boat. You're not going down. And Jesus calms the storm, then he turns around to his disciples behind him, and he says, you of little faith. These are the guys who were there when the centurion said, you don't have to, you don't have to come, Jesus, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. These are the guys who saw that. These are the guys who heard Jesus say, that was great faith. And he said to them, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Not even among you dudes. In the scriptures, there's not very much that is recorded that surprised Jesus. He understood humanity. He understood the world. There's not, there was not much that came into Jesus' life that surprised him. But there were two things that whenever they came up, they surprised Jesus. And they both circle around faith. See, when irreligious people expressed great faith, that surprised Jesus. And when religious people expressed small faith, that surprised Jesus. Because irreligious people, you think, they're not going to have great faith. And then sometimes they do, and Jesus goes, wow, that's amazing. And the religious people, they're supposed to have great faith. And when they express little tiny faith or like almost no faith, Jesus goes, wow, that's amazing. Now, where are you in that mix? See, I suspect that you are the religious people. I mean, you're here the weekend after Easter. It's pretty religious. And I know in Christian circles, it's kind of popular these days to go, I'm not religious, I just love Jesus. Look, when you got a thing going on with God, that's called religion. Okay, you can call it, you can call it other things and stuff, and I know religion like, no, it's rule-keeping and yeah, 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 but when you got this thing going on with God, it's called religion. You're the religious folks. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not a bad thing. But it's not a great thing if you're religious folks with little tiny faith. Because when that comes out, that surprises Jesus. Great faith among the irreligious surprised Jesus. Small faith among the religious surprised Jesus. So how do you live with faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How do you live with faith? In, the, in his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, chapter 2, verse 6. He says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Here's a description of how we are supposed to live our lives as followers of Christ by faith, right? He says, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. So, how did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? How does somebody receive Christ? By faith. By f- Was that you, honey? Nice job. 
We didn't even rehearse this at home or anything. It's like, man, that's good. No, like how do, you, how do you receive Christ? By faith. That's what the whole story is about, right? So, so Paul says, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live in him. We get distracted sometimes with, with doing good things and following the rules and making sure we're doing what we're supposed to do. And we forget that the beginning of the Christian life is, is faith, but the path of the Christian life is also faith. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord by faith, keep walking in him by faith. Don't start by faith and then continue on by trying to follow the rules. You won't make it. Start by faith and then live your life by faith. Keep going. Now, what does that faith look like? Because I think that's confusing for us as well. What does faith look like? Hey, Chip, would you help me out? You all right? Can I have your chair? Okay. Yeah, just pull it out, bring it up. Oh, so how about that chair? No, it'll be easier from this end. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. You, you keep the Bible, I'll take the chair. Perfect. Just set, just set it down right there. Well done. Nice hand for Chip, please. <laughs> all right. So when, when you all came in to church today, you exercised faith. And not just that the roof wasn't going to fall down or not just that, you know, Pastor Brad was going to be nice to you today or, you know, not those kinds of things. You all, every single one of you, you came in and you went through a deliberate exercise of faith that you have done so many times in your life that you didn't even think about it. When Paul says, I want you, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, I want you to walk in him. He goes, I want you to live by faith in such a way that you don't even have to think about it. You just keep living by faith. And every single one of you did this when you walked into the room today. Faith exists as three stage in three stages first stage is knowledge you can never have faith if you have no knowledge god does not invite you to to believe in anything he he invites you to believe in something very specific he invites you to trust someone very specific and so there's knowledge involved so step one of faith is knowledge when you walked into the room today you exercise knowledge that you have been developing since you were about a year old or six months old when your mom and dad put you in a high chair, strapped you in, gave you Cheerios, you know, whatever the deal <coughs> was in your generation. So uh, you, you've been learning this thing about knowledge about chairs. You know what chairs are for. Chairs are designed to hold you up off the ground. It's, it, it's easier to get up after that, you know, harder to get up off the floor. Yes? Right. So we all know what chairs are for. They hold us up off the ground. You all walked in today and you said, well, look, they set out a bunch of chairs for us. They must want us to be somewhat comfortable while he talks to us and makes us uncomfortable. So, okay, so there's chairs. And so in your head you go, I've got knowledge about chairs, and that's all perfect. But that's not faith yet. Faith has to go to the next step, which is agreement. Agreement says, intellectually, I agree that the chairs that they set out for me are good chairs. They're not trying to pull a fast one on me. They're not, they're not trying to give me a chair that's just going to collapse when I sit down on it. And so you came in, and you picked a chair. Now, some of you pick the same chair every single week. Yeah, it's all right. We call it a section, you know. Get to know the people in your section. That's, that's awesome. You got the same chair every week. What you don't know is we switch the chairs around every week. So you're not really getting the same chair. You're getting the same spot, but probably a different chair. And so you don't even know if that chair is good. You're like, I sat in it last week. No, that's a different chair. Just so you know. But you come in, you look around, you've got knowledge about the chair. You know what a chair is supposed to do, keep you up off the ground. You look at the chair that you're about to sit in, you go, that's a good chair. That's still not faith. 
because there's a third stage to faith. There's knowledge and there's agreement. And then there's one more stage to faith. What is that? Oh, action. That's good. I'll call it commitment. Call it commitment. Right? Because you can, you can come in and look at the chair and you can go, ah, I know what a chair is for. Keep me off the ground. And I know that's a good chair. I agree. But, it, but it's not faith until you commit to the chair. It's not faith until you sit down. It's good. It's worked. You never know because it's faith. You never know. It's faith. But your faith walks through knowledge and agreement and commitment every time. And when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, it is a relationship that exists by faith. And so you know some things about Jesus. Nobody comes to Jesus without knowing anything about him. There's got to be something that you know. That's why it's so important for us to get the good news of Christ out so people know something about him. But that's not faith. That's just knowledge. And then you agree with him. You go, oh, there's, and there's a lot of people out there that will say, oh, I agree that Jesus is the son of God. But they make no commitment to him. That's not faith. Might be belief, but it's not faith. It's not faith until you sit in it. It's not faith until you commit yourself to him. And you say, I'm going to live my life by faith in Christ. And I'm going to let that change the way I live in this world. By faith. I'm committed. Now, see, I know you're here the weekend after Easter. Like, I think you're committed. But I can't, but I can't tell for sure. Only you know that in your heart. Now, let's take the chair uh, back away. Chip, would you take it back for me? Thank you. Nice job. Thanks for cooperating. All right, so let me, um, let me introduce someone. I want to give you a couple of ways that we live this out in our lives these days. So Emily, why don't you come on up? This is Emily Brayton. Why don't you guys welcome Emily, please? All right, Emily is a follower of Christ, and she's a lakesider, been a lakesider for quite a while. And uh, there's some interesting things in her life that I want you to hear about and just kind of think through how does that how does that express living out faith, and how does it relate to me, to you, right? And it will look differently for you, but let's just hear her story first. So, Emily, tell us a little bit about your faith journey sure. so far. Yeah, absolutely. So, it started when I was three, when one of my mom's best friends invited me to vacation Bible school. We call it Blitz Pier. And so, I went to vacation Bible school, and then that Sunday, um, we had the performance of the little kids singing up front, and my parents went. My mom was a Christian, my dad was not, and he said, hey, we should come back to church. And so that was the beginning of my life um, story that my dad um, found Jesus, changed their marriage, um, changed my family. So I don't really remember when I put my faith in God. I just grew up knowing that Jesus was the son of God and he who believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I would say that my relationship with God when I was a child and in my 20s was a lot like I was a grown-up and he was my father, so when I had challenging times, I would go to him. But it wasn't until I came to Lakeside and learned about a relationship with him, started reading my Bible in the morning, um, going to a small group, listening to only Christian music when I was driving, that I really just had this sense of peace that I didn't have before. So now I would say it's more like I'm a child and he's my father and I would love to be a dependent baby, not there yet. 
Um, but for the chair analogy, I would say, you know, I've, I've always been sort of sitting in the chair, but now I'm actually sitting in the now chair. Now you're in. Yeah. Yeah, committed. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that's good. Now, you've been expressing your faith in certain ways. We talk here at Lakeside a lot about oikos, right? Oikos is the Greek word for household or network, extended family. And we just think that God has placed certain people in our lives uh, and he wants us to love and serve and care for those people. And that's loving our neighbor. That's kind of like, like that's living the Christian life out by faith. And you've been doing that in the oikos of your children's school yeah. a little bit. Tell us about what is going on with that. Yeah, in their public school. In their public school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a few years ago, um, my daughter was little, and she came home from school and had learned about Rosh Hashanah, a Jewish holiday. And so I asked the teacher if I could come in and present a Christian holiday. And she said, sure, how about Easter? And um, so I talked about the Skittle story or the redemption story through Skittles. And um, since then, every year I've asked our teachers, and half of the time they've said yes, and half of the time they've said no. This uh, past year, my daughter's older, so I went into much more great um, detail about the Easter story and, of course, ended on the redemption story with Skittles. So, Okay, so the redemption story with Skittles. That's beautiful. Yeah. But what's that about? Well, and I know you'll love it because you love your sweets. So. Absolutely. Yeah, so a few years ago, my wonderful um, daycare provider put together 30 baggies of Skittles only to find out that this red package actually contains all the colors that you need if you ever do this again. So it saves you a bit of time. Oh, good. Okay. Red, yes, red yes. Skittle package. Good. Exactly. All right. So go ahead and um, find your purple Skittle. Purple Skittle. And purple is the color of royalty, which shows that Jesus is the son of God, and that's what Christians believe, and the king of kings for royalty. So eat your purple Skittle. Get to eat it? You get to eat it. Sweet. It is sweet. Oh, sweet. It's sweet. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Um, purple. Find your uh, red Skittle. And Christians believe that over 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus was sent to earth by God to forgive us of our sins. And sins is a fancy word um, for our mess-ups, whether that's disobeying our parents, talking bad about people. Um, Jesus died for us for that. So go ahead and eat your red Skittle. Wow, okay. Find your orange Skittle. And so what that stands for is it's a free gift. Jesus didn't have to do that, and Christians believe that when you accept that free gift, something amazing happens. Sweet. You get to eat it. Yeah, you get to eat it. Okay. All right. Now find your green Skittle. And Christians believe that when you accept that free gift, um, that green stands for new life, that Jesus has washed away your sins, they're forgiven, you'll still mess up, but there's still just that forgiveness and peace that goes with it. So eat your green Skittle. And find wow. your yellow Skittle. <laughs> so Christians believe that Jesus came to earth, was the Son of God, and that when you accept that free gift, your sins are forgiven, but you have life everlasting, and you get to go to heaven where the streets are paved in gold. So that's a redemption story that I say, sh- have shared in the public schools with my kiddos. That is awesome. Yeah. And now, while I digest a mouthful of Skittles, Tell us how this has influenced your faith journey. Yeah, um, I think it's made me realize that I have a much stronger faith journey than I realized because um, in some parts of my life, the faith I don't even think about. I'm just, of course I'm going to ask to go into the schools. All they can say is no, right? Um, And then I also was reflecting that, gosh, 40 years ago, I was in the oikos of my mom's friend. 
And so oh, I'm getting you all choked up. Um, so it's so important that this is Blitz week. So who's in your kids' oikos that you're getting to Blitz this week that you could be changing families um, as well as I'll be sending out an email Tuesday night to my kids' class. Hey, looking for something fun to do with your kids this summer? Come to Blitz. We're coming. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Emily, thanks very much. Beautiful. Give me a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that teacher wasn't so happy afterwards with all that sugar going around that class. <laughs> as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. As you started by faith, so live by faith. And as you live by faith, it's, it's like the Lord's just going to bring things up for you that you will do, that you'll engage in, that just are expressions of that faith. One way that we do that, another way that we do that, and not all of you are going to go into a child's classroom and do the Skittles redemption story. Some of you don't have children in school yet or anymore or, you know, whatever. So there's other things. Again, let me go back to this idea of oikos. So, and let me, well, let's go back to the idea of oikos. So we, we have these people that God has placed into our lives. He says, I want you to love them, serve them, care for them, and, and represent me in their life, right? And so Donna and I uh, did a risky thing about two, two and a half weeks ago, something like that. Uh, we put our house up for sale. And it's a little risky because we didn't have a chance to tell all of you together. It's like, hey, we're going to sell our house. And so I've been having people that drive down my street come over and like, hey, are you leaving? Are you leaving town? Are you leaving the church? You know, it's like all this anxiety and angst and all this stuff. Like, no, we're staying right in town. We're going to move over to Old Folsom. Got a little fixer-upper to sort of downsize into and things like that. That's what we're doing. But the risk was I didn't tell anybody or I didn't tell many people before that sign went up. And so a little bit of anxiety. Well, I didn't get a chance to tell all of my neighbors either. I, I, I got to some of them, but not to all of them. And so the day the sign went up out in front of our house, uh, I had, we had some guests coming over that evening. And so I'm kind of watching out the window for them and stuff. And, and uh, I look out the window, and there's my next-door neighbor. He's standing next to my for sale sign. And this is one of the guys I hadn't had a chance to tell yet that we were actually moving. So I go out and talk to him. I know it's, you know, could be weird or whatever, and I go out and uh, I begin to talk to him, and he ex- he began to express this sincere sadness that we were leaving. It, he said, the neighborhood won't be the same without you guys, and that's not to make us heroes. It's just, it's just to say this. I had no idea the level of influence that we have with some of those people that are our neighbors. We're trying to live out our faith all the time. We don't always do it well, we certainly don't always do it perfectly, but we're trying to love our neighbors. And so sometimes I've trimmed my neighbor's trees for him. Sometimes it's because they're hanging in my yard. <laughs> sometimes because I'm trying to be friendly to my neighbor. Usually it's both, you know. And, and that has mattered to him, and that's made a difference in his life to some level. And he expressed his sadness that we're leaving the neighborhood. And it, I could tell it was genuine. And that surprised me, not, you know, not that I thought they hated us, but here's what I believe. God has given you a power and authority 
to influence your neighbors, whoever they are, whether they live around you, whether they work around you, whether your kids play soccer together with one another, and so now you're in their oikos, their neighborhood. Whatever that thing is, God has given you power and authority to influence certain people in your life, not to change the whole world, but to make a change in your world. And if there were enough of us living out our faith in our spiritual life, in our daily lives, we would change our world because God gives us the authority to influence them by loving them and serving them and caring for them. So these days, my oikos is shifting. I've told you as we go along, it's like, you know, sometimes God will bring people into your oikos. Sometimes he'll take them out of that. My oikos is shifting, but I'm more convinced of this than ever that God wants me to love those 8 to 15 people that are around me that he puts into my life that don't yet know him. And he wants me to love them and serve them and care for them as an act of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you want to please God, practice faith. We have an event coming up I want to I invite you to to help you with this. On Friday night, May 1st, we're going to have an Oikos conference. We're actually bringing in a guy who grew up in the same church that Donna and I grew up in down in Southern California. He leads a church in the high desert now, and he's the one who wrote the book on Oikos. He's, he's helped us develop this strategy about loving our neighbor through this thing called Oikos. Friday, May 1st, right here in the auditorium, come and join us for a conference. We're going we're gonna to gouge you to get you to come to this. It's going to cost you $10. And if you don't have $10, come see me. I'll, I'll scholarship you in because I want you to be there. I want the room to be packed full of lakesiders who say, man, I want to know how to love and serve and care for my neighbors in my oikos so that I can live out my faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you do. You are amazing. You invite us to live this life of amazing faith. And so I'm grateful for that. I think, Lord, that there's nothing like the adventure of living with you through faith. There's nothing like that. And Lord, I'm grateful for my friends here in the room because I strongly believe that their desire is to please you. And I know that we are all in different spots in the journey of following Jesus. And some of us have just begun to follow Jesus. Some of us might still be investigating that relationship. And some of us have been following you for a long, long time. And we've got different challenges, different hurdles to get over, all kinds of things that come up. But Lord, this is true of us. We long to please you. And you said, if we want to please you, practice faith. So, Lord, believing that that faith in itself is a gift from you, we ask you for it. Give us faith. Increase our faith. May we have great faith to exercise like that centurion soldier. And, Lord, may you be exalted and honored through us in this journey. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.